Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. You can return to your seats as you do. Give somebody a high five. Amen. Amen. How many of you, just a little survey here, how many of you actually took advantage of that extra hour of sleep? When I say took advantage, I mean you took an extra hour of sleep. You didn't just stay up an hour later. Show of hands, it looks like about 5% of us. Amen. The rest of you are like, I didn't know that happened. Amen. Thankfully, today, we don't have to set back our clocks anymore. We've got technology that does it all for us. Amen. So it really comes in handy in the springtime. It used to be, well, I forgot, Pastor. I forgot to change my clock. You can't really use that one anymore. Amen. Amen. I do want to say congratulations to Josh Johnson and Sister Jessica Monk. They were both uh, licensed as ministers in the United Pentecostal Church. Amen. Congratulations. That's a big deal. I think we should give them a, a standing ovation, a hand clap. Amen. There was a long process they had to go through to get that. A lot of study. A lot of work that it took. And that's not a decision I can make. I recommend them for license, but it is made by a group of men, our district board. And they had conversations with both Brother Johnson and Sister Monk and talked to them and felt like at the end of that conversation and as a result of the path of study that they took that they were worthy of a license. Amen. And so we honor them today and uh, we honor them for their hard work and dedication. Amen. We're going to get ready to get into the Word. So you can go ahead and start finding the book of Exodus. It's not real hard to find. It's the second book in your Bible. Amen. It's always fun when the pastor says, Turns, turn to Zechariah turn to Haggai. Everybody's like, I need to find that index at the beginning of my Bible. But we're making it easy today. Exodus chapter 17. And as you are turning there, uh, all of the men that I gave you that card to, Brother Alberti brought this to my attention, thankfully. But that those are West Coast times. So 6 o'clock p.m. would actually be 9 o'clock. All right, I did not make that notation. Uh, but just so you're not showing up three hours early and wondering where everybody's at. And I do encourage you, men. I, I'm pretty certain it's, it's anonymous. Nobody's going to know who you are on that call. And I, it's nothing to be ashamed of to say that I'm fighting this fight. I want to be godly with my eyes. I want to be godly with my actions. I want to be godly with my heart. And women, you need to encourage your husbands to attend that because you should want your husband to be godly with his eyes and his heart. But, and how many of you know that it's a battle? The world we live in today is not... It's not like you got to go and look for opportunities. They're being thrown, pushed on us in humanity today. And so we've got to be armed with the tools to win the battle. Amen. And so if you didn't get a card yet, I do have a couple more and I encourage you to join in. Also, if you came in a little bit late and you do want to give today, the information for giving, if they could bring that back up on the screen real quick. And on your way out today, 
There will be a couple of ushers with buckets there. That's not your exit fee. All right, we're not saying you can't leave until you give. Uh, just simply, last week I know there were a couple of folks that weren't here at the giving time and they wanted to give, and so they came and gave it to me personally. I try not to touch any money in the church until they deposit it into my account. So I don't want to touch the money. So we've got buckets there that you can give and put it in there. And uh, we have a process that makes sure that, anyway, all of that's taken care of. How many of you are thankful to be in the house of the Lord today? What a great crowd that has gathered here today. Amen. Tell your neighbor, man, you sure look nice today. Amen. We could use an old English word. You sure look swell today. Amen. Don't get offended. That doesn't mean you look big. It means, swell is, a, is an adjective for, is a synonym of good. You look good today. You look great today. Amen. Smile, smile. You look better when you smile. Try it out. Sister, Sister, Sister Angelita is even smiling today. What a... Amen. Exodus chapter 17. So good to have all of our guests with us today. Living Hope, can we give our guests a hand clap? Amen. I won't put anybody on the spot, but I see some of you that have been around and uh, maybe relationships of those that are part of Living Hope. We, we honor you today. We welcome you to Living Hope. Amen. Exodus 17 verse 8. Then came Amalek. Then came Amalek, the people of Amalek, the Amalekites, and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose out men. So Amalek comes and fights. And one verse later, Moses says to Joshua, I guess we better fight back. So choose men, go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, her went up to the top of the hill. It came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. So they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on one side, the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Amen. The Lord bless you. You could be seated. Perhaps the most pivotal battle in the entirety of the Civil War, a battle that took place just three hours roughly north of here, the Battle of Gettysburg was a three-day battle that would witness over 50,000 casualties between the two armies that battled that in that three-day war. This battle of Gettysburg was, without equal, the bloodiest battle that has ever been fought on American soil. And within that battle, that three-day skirmish that would see 50,000 casualties and the blood would flow, even recent in recent years they found remains of bodies that they had not, so the count is still being tabulated. Within that bloody battle that turned the most pivotal war of this nation within that war that took place and within that battle was a very important skirmish the most important skirmish of this most important battle took place on the second day of Gettysburg when Colonel Joshua Chamberlain who had been a college professor 
And now he led the 20th Maine Regiment. And they were assigned to defend Little Round Top, which was a rocky wooded hill at the extreme flank of the Union Army's defensive line. Any attack that overwhelmed Chamberlain's undersized regiment of 386 men. They had started with 1,000 men in their regiment, but now they were down to just 386. They were overwhelmed. They were outnumbered. They were weak. They were feeble. But if they would have lost, it would have given Confederate forces the high ground and enabled them to win that battle and possibly to go on to win the war. And so Chamberlain's troops were desperately low now on food, water, ammunition. As they battled against Colonel William Oates, who led the 15th Alabama Regiment in the Confederate soldier, in the Confederate Army. And there the Alabama Regiment began to attack Little Round Top, that hill, that most critical hill that was being guarded by an overwhelmed Union group of soldiers. The Confederate soldiers, there the Alabama Regiment began coming up the hill just as Chamberlain positioned his depleted regiment. In their first skirmish, Chamberlain and his men opened fire and the Confederates began scurrying, um, the, the Union began scurrying for cover. However, Oates, the Union army regrouped and he ordered a charge up the hill toward Chamberlain. And in all, Chamberlain's soldiers withstood six charges, six attacks by the persistent southern troops. But the onslaught seriously threatened Chamberlain's left flank. Chamberlain withdrew some of his troops and they realized now that they couldn't withstand another attack from the Confederates and they were out of ammunition and they knew one more attack and they were going to be overwhelmed and then the, Union, the, the Confederates would overtake and the battle and the war would possibly lost. And so Chamberlain, in what has been regarded in history as an act of courage, shouted to his men to arm bayonets. They had no ammunition left to fire and so they fixed their bayonets and they charged down that hill and they took their enemy by surprise and because they held the hill that day, the Union Army would win the Battle of Gettysburg and would go on to win the war because one man was willing to fight to hold the hill. And I want to preach for a few minutes today on that topic and to this church and to this generation of believers that we must hold the hill. Amen. Tell your neighbor, hold the hill. Amen. I preach to every father, every husband, every wife, every mother today that as the attack of the enemy comes, there must be a people of God that will stand in this hour and say we're not going to surrender. I recognize that if the enemy takes over, I recognize that if the enemy can take out the church, if the enemy can take out my family, if the enemy can destroy my faith, then the enemy is going to win the war. But I'm not going to surrender the hill. I'm going to stand and I'm going to fight. I'm going to push back the enemy. We've got to get a little bit of courage back in us. we got to get a little fight in our spirit. I, I know I know the political hour that we live in where even politicians are telling parents that your children are none of your business. I've got news for politicians. My children are all about my business. You're not going to teach my children anything you want to teach them. I'm going to be involved in their education. And I think we've gotten so intimidated 
and so, so intimidated by this culture we live in that even the way I'm preaching right now has some of you nervous. This guy's a little bit dangerous. I want hell to know that I am dangerous. I want hell to know if you come up this hill, I'm coming back down after you. I want you to know if you attack my family, I'm bringing back everything I've got to destroy you. You're not just going to walk up this hill and walk away with victory, but there is a people, there is a church that is going to stand. I wonder if you're with me right now, could you stand and give God a hand clap of praise? I'm going to hold the hill. I'm going to hold the hill. I hope you're still standing with me when I finish today. In the book of Genesis chapter 25, we find Isaac, the son of Abraham, and his wife, Rebekah, are with child. And as this pregnancy unfolds and the child within her begins to grow, Rebekah is feeling added discomfort. And what she surmises to be an beyond normal, abnormal issues with her pregnancy. The normal kick that might take place here and there feels like it is multiplied. She understands, I've I've heard what pregnancy feels like, but this doesn't feel like what they've told me it would feel like. She's unable to sleep at night because of the tossing and turning that is incessantly taking place within her. So she goes to the Lord and she asks him, If it be so, why is it thus? What she was saying, God, if this is a blessing from you, then why does it feel like a curse? God, if this is something that you have ordained, then why do I feel so uncomfortable? If this is your will, then why does your will feel so uncomfortable? I wonder, has anybody else ever wrestled with the discomfort of the will of God? Amen, you start doing what you thought God wanted you to do, and instead of things getting better, they get worse. And I know a lot of people, they think that that means that wasn't the will of God, and so they quit and they give up. But I would tell you, most of the time, a sign that you're in the will of God is that trials are going to come, that the enemy is going to attack. So the attack is not to negate the will of God, but it is to confirm the will of God. Well, I I thought if I came to church and gave my life to the Lord and was baptized that all my problems would go away. Anybody ever remember thinking that? Is that what happened? (laughs) Everybody said yes when I asked if you remember thinking that. And everybody said no when they said it. So I don't want you newcomers to be dismayed. When you get a made-up mind to serve the Lord, it's not going to get easier. The attack is going to come. The difference is you've got somebody on your side, not just somebody. You've got the Almighty. You've got the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You've got the great I am. You've got a way maker on your side. You've got a provider on your side. You've got a strength giver on your side. You've got a burden bearer on your side. If it be so, why am I thus? Why is this happening to me? Now, this was long before the technology of a sonogram, long before Rebecca could go down to her local doctor or the hospital and schedule a sonogram and go in and find out the exact due date, the gender of the child, 
It was long before those days where she could find out many of the details that we're able to find out. The answer from the Lord comes this, because there's two inside of you. All right? And it wasn't just as simple. He wasn't just saying you have twins. Now, there's no way she could have known that at that point in, in time unless she saw all four feet kick at the same time. There's no way that she could have known that at this point in the pregnancy. But she goes to God and asks him, look, if, if, if this is your will, then why is this pregnancy such a pain? Why is there so much trouble in this? And the Lord is, says back to her, not just that you're having twins, amen, but he said there's a war that is taking place within you because there's two nations that are represented inside. It's not just two children, but there are two nations, amen. And he said that the elder is going to serve the younger. In other words, that's not the way it's supposed to be. The, the younger is supposed to serve the elder, but things are going to get turned around. Amen. It's not going to be the way things are normally meant to go, but there's going to be a change in the order. There's going to be a divine turning. There's going to be a divine reversal that's going to take place. And these children, these nations within you recognize that this is going to happen. And so there is a war that is taking place. Indeed, we understand that the birth of Jacob and Esau was more than just the birth of two children that would contend for a birthright. More than just two nations that would contend for land and resources. It was a birth of two sons that represented two natures. Amen. It was a battle, if you would, between the very flesh and the spiritual nature. We find that Jacob was a type of the spiritual man. Jacob was a type of the spiritual inheritance. Amen. That nature that understands there's a blessing in the birthright. That nature that comes to church and says, I want to get everything God has for me. That nature that says I want to stay in the prayer room until I get a breakthrough that nature that says I want to get involved in worship because that's where the battle is won that nature that says I want to get under the preaching of the word of God because that's how my soul is saved is there a Jacob in the house today that didn't just come to go through another Sunday morning service but I came to get a birthright That spiritual nature, that Jacob, that understands there is no earthly blessing that could ever be greater than the favor and the blessing of the Father upon my life. And then there was Esau. Esau was the type of the carnal, the fleshly appetite. The Bible says Esau hated the birthright. He couldn't wait for church to be over. He wished the sound man would turn the sound down because his ears were ringing a little bit. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. I hope there's a Joshua still standing with me. Amen. I, I wish they'd just shut up and move on because I got a barbecue to get to. Amen. I got a, a roast waiting on, in, the, in the oven. I got things to do. I, I wish Pastor would get to his three points and say, you can go home because I've got... You see, Esau doesn't understand what happens in an apostolic church. Esau can't understand and he never will understand. Amen. That's why there's got to be a divine reversal that takes place in your life because your carnal mind cannot understand the things of God because they're enmity. Carnality doesn't understand your worship. Carnality doesn't get your praise. Carnality doesn't understand a prayer meeting. 
Carnality will always have something more important than to come to an altar. Sometimes silence is good. The flesh that despised the birthright. The flesh that didn't see the value of the favor of the Father. It doesn't really matter to me if Dad puts his hands on me and there's a blessing or if Dad just puts his hands on me and says, I love you. So it doesn't matter. I don't, see any, any, I don't see any difference. I don't see any significance in the, in the favor of the Father. You see, Jacob, that was what he lived for. Esau despised it. That flesh had an appetite for immediate gratification. We live in a world today that says if it feels good, do it. If it feels good to your heart, chase after your heart. Go after your dreams. That is an Esau, that is an Esau prophecy. It's telling you go ahead and live like Esau. If you smell a little bit of soup in the wilderness, go ahead and trade your eternal inheritance for a bowl of soup. Amen. That is how Esau lives his life. If it feels good in the moment, I'm going to eat that bowl of soup. I'll sell out my eternity for something I can have right now. If you want to know what flesh is, as the bishop used to say, pinch that stuff. It's flesh. He would have us all do it. Pinch it. It's flesh. That flesh is the part of you that Romans chapter 8 verse 7 says is enmity against God. It is at war with God. It goes on and tells us that your flesh cannot please God. You cannot please God in your flesh. You can't go to enough church services just to put the check in the block and say, I'm a Christian to please God. That's not what pleases God. You going to church doesn't please God any more than you going to the club pleases God. It's what you do when you come to church that pleases God. It's when you begin to give God praise. That's what pleases God. It's when you run to an altar and you repent of your sins. That is what pleases God. Flesh is that part of you that believes if I could just have a bigger house, if I could just drive a newer car, then I know that I would feel satisfied. Flesh is that part of you that keeps looking for love in all the wrong places. Flesh is that part of you that would throw away your family for one night of gratification. Flesh is that part of you that would surrender your reputation for one drunken escapade. Flesh is that nature that just doesn't get the things of the Spirit. It's that part of you that gets hurt and pouts out the back door when the preacher steps on your toes. It's that part of you that will have you walking out the back, the back door because you've got work in the morning when the spiritual man is saying, no, I need to get down to an altar and linger in the presence of God. I told you, you weren't all going to be standing with me when I got done. But I will not refuse. I refuse to surrender the hill. I came today to hold the hill because if we lose this battle, we lose the war.
The explanation of the Almighty when Rebecca ponders this question, what is going on? Why is it thus? What is happening to me does not end with a spiritual sonogram where God says you're having twins. But at the conclusion of that, he says to her that the elder is going to serve the younger. He said, this is my will, that the flesh is going to serve the spirit, not the other way around. I know the natural way. When you're born the first time, that's the normal way. That your spirit goes where your flesh tells it to go. And your spiritual man does what your flesh tells it to do. But God said that's not the way it's going to be. I'm going to turn things around. And the elder is going to serve the younger. What does that mean? It means your flesh was not intended to be the master. Your flesh is not what's supposed to be calling the shots. If you've been born again of the water and of the spirit, you are not walking in the carnal nature, but you're walking in a new nature. And the new nature says, flesh, you do what I tell you to do. Esau, you don't call the shots around here. I'm in charge. I've got the birthright. I've got the blessing. Listen, I'm trying to help somebody today because you're trying to win a spiritual battle in your flesh and you'll never do it. You've got to be born again. Pastor, why can't I beat this addiction? Why can't I beat this thing that I'm going? Why can't I overcome this alcoholism? Why can't I, why can't I ever get into a good relationship that is healthy? Because you're trying to do it the old way. You're trying to let Esau do it. I've come to tell you there's a better way. Come on, you need to be born again. Come on, you need to stop letting your flesh call the shots. And you need to let the spirit call the shots. Your spiritual man is not supposed to be asking your carnal man for permission to praise. I see some of you, you some of you supposed to be Christians, you sit there all service and ask your flesh for permission. Flesh, do we feel good enough today to give God praise? Flesh, flesh. Are we willing to put ourselves a little bit out there and stand up when everybody else is sitting? Are we willing to put ourselves out there a little bit and raise? Hey, you're never supposed to be taking orders from your flesh. Your spiritual man, amen, is in charge, not the other way around. My spiritual man is not asking my, I told my flesh when I got up this morning, guess what flesh, we're going to the house of God. Guess what flesh, when we get there, we're going to give God praise. Guess what flesh, we're going to jump around and look like a fool. Your spiritual man is not supposed to be asking Mr. Flesh if it's okay to go to church. Uh, Mr. Flesh? Uh, I know there's a football game on today. And there's a couple ribeyes in the fridge. I, I, but Mr. Flesh, is it, a far, is it all right if we go to church today? 
Mr. Flesh, is it okay if we take the family to church? I know one of the little kids stubbed their toe yesterday, and I know Mama's got a rash on her pinky, but is it okay, Mr. Flesh, if we, if we go ahead and take the family to church today? Mr. Flesh, I know the alarm is going to go off at 5 o'clock tomorrow morning. I've got work to go to, Mr. Flesh, but I really need to spend some time in the altar tonight after church. And, and so, Mr. Flesh, I was wondering, is it okay if instead of me sneaking out during the altar call, if I run down to the altar and I get a hold of God? You ain't ever supposed to ask your flesh for permission. That's not the way it's supposed to go. I'm going to tell you, flesh, this is the way it's going to go. Yes, that is the natural order. If you're living in the flesh, that's the way you should do it. You should leave before altar call is over. You should leave if your favorite football team's playing at 1 o'clock and you're not going to make it home in time if you're living in the flesh. But God said to Rebecca, I'm going to flip the order of these things. And the elder, the flesh, is going to serve the spirit. It's not going to be that way. Amen. Your spirit man isn't asking for permission to pray. If you want to praise God, you ought to do it right now. If you want to give God praise, you ought to do it right I may not feel like it, but my feelings do not dictate my praise. Come on, somebody, I'm not asking my flesh for permission. I wish some of you young men on the front row would give God. Stop worrying about what your friends think about you and give God praise. When you were born again, there was a transformation that took place, and the elder began to serve the younger. My spiritual man calls the shots. Come on, somebody, Mr. Flesh, don't call the shots anymore. The spiritual man calls the shots. I don't need permission from my flesh or your flesh to, to give God praise. Well, I don't know if my neighbor wants me. I don't care if my neighbor wants me to praise him. You came on my turf. Amen. You're on my turf. I'm not waiting on you to give me permission. In fact, you might want to just get out of my way because I made up in my mind before I got here today that I will bless the Lord with everything that is in me. Bless his holy name. Some of you need to let Jacob start giving Esau the other commands rather than the other way around. You need to let Jacob stand up and say, Mr. Flesh, get out of your seat. Stop being such a pompous prude that you can't give God praise. Come on. Such a dignified dunce that you sit there looking like a pew ornament service after service. Yes, I know God called you to be a pillar in the church, but he didn't mean it literally that you had to sit there and not move. Hey, Jacob, come on, tell Esau, I'm not waiting on you to give me permission. I call the shots around here. Come on, Jacob, you needed to tell old Esau, Mr. Flesh, when you were in the world, you stayed up late. 
getting jiggy till midnight. Woo! Prided yourself that I can party till two and be at work by five and still function. But all of a sudden, now you come to church and you've gotten so spiritually mature. You need to remind Mr. Flesh, hey, when you had your turn, you didn't have any problem with staying. If I can't stay and linger in the altar till 8.30 on a Wednesday night, till 9 o'clock on a Sunday, something's wrong in my priority. Somehow the, the order got switched. I need to get things back in their right order. Amen. The flesh is not calling the shots. The spirit is calling the shots. I wish somebody get, you may not like what I'm preaching. You may not like what I'm saying, but I'm helping you right now. Because the Bible says you cannot please God in the flesh. And so we come to Genesis chapter 18. I'm sorry, Exodus 18 verse 8. Chapter 17 verse 8. The Bible says that then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. Man, all this time, Pastor, you've been preaching about Jacob and Esau and then you just move. Oh, they're still here. They're, they're right here. Because Genesis 26 and 12 identifies Amalek and the Amalekites as descendants of Esau. They're still that old flesh. See, that was the issue. Some of you thought when you repented and baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost that you weren't going to have to battle with flesh any longer. Let me tell you, the last day that you battle with flesh is the last breath you take. That's the last time you battle with flesh. And let me tell you, the biggest, baddest enemy you will ever fight on this earth is not the devil, it's your flesh. If there's one enemy that's trying to make sure you don't make it to heaven, it's Mr. Flesh. It is your Esau. Esau don't want you coming down to an altar because Esau knows if you stay in the altar too long, he dies. Amen. The flesh dies on the altar. And so Esau's going to do anything he can to keep you home on Sunday and to keep you out of the altar. He's going to do anything he can. So the Amalekites are the descendants of Esau. They represent the nature of the flesh. And of course, the Israelites, we know, are the descendants of Jacob. So here we are, hundreds of years later, generations later, but still that same battle between Jacob and Esau, between the spirit and the flesh. And here we find the children of Israel on their way to the land of promise. How many of you are thankful to be on your way to heaven? I could just stop right now and sing about heaven. I'm on my way to heaven and I'm so glad. All right, some of you, most of you don't know that song. I don't even know if it is a song, but it is now. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm on my way to the promised land. Amen. I'm on my way to a, a city whose streets are paved with gold. I'm on my way to a city with 12 foundations. I, I'm on my way to a city whose builder and maker is God. I, I'm on my way to a city that the light in that city is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Uh, amen. I'm on my way to a promised land. Yeah. 
Hopefully the rest of you can agree with that. If you're not, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you about why you're here today. We're all here because we're trying to get to heaven. So here they are on the way to a promised land. They have just come through the Red Sea. They've watched God miraculously drown their past that enslaved them. Miraculously, Pharaoh and his horse and riders are drowned in the sea. Miraculously, their past is drowned in the Red Sea. Anybody thankful that baptism puts your sins and God forgets them when you are baptized? Come on, somebody. Amen. If I wasn't baptized, I'd run up here right now and jump in the tank and say, Preacher, baptize me because I can't outrun my past. I need you to bury Pharaoh. I'm so thankful I don't serve a God that's trying to hold your past up in your face, but he's ready to bury your past like he did Pharaoh in the army in the Red Sea. And directly before this, in the seven verses leading up to this passage that begins in verse 8, the Bible tells us that they get water out of a rock, that Moses They were all thirsty in this place after they've come across the Red Sea, a type of baptism and their sins being buried. And now they're in the wilderness on their way to a promised land. But even in this journey on our way to heaven, there are times that we get weary. And there's times that we need renewing. Amen. And there's times baptism isn't enough and Jesus didn't stop there. But he said, do you got to be born again, not just of the water, but of the Spirit? And so Moses took that rod and he struck the rock and out of that rock flowed enough water to feed a million Israelites and to quench their thirst. That was a type of the Holy Ghost. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that there's still water flowing from the rock. It's not a one-time experience. I didn't just get the Holy Ghost 30 years ago. I get the Holy Ghost every time I come, every time I walk in his presence. I need that refreshing. Hallelujah. Anybody thankful today? Come on, if you're thankful today, I want you to tell somebody next to him, I'm thankful for baptism, and I'm thankful for the Holy Ghost. Come on, tell somebody, I'm thankful for baptism, and I'm thankful for the Holy Ghost. I know, Pastor, you need to preach. I'm going to preach a little more, but we got to get excited about the right things. It's not because Pastor preaches a cute little sermon. It's because I've been born of the water and of the Spirit. So they've been baptized. Pharaoh and his armies, their past has been buried in the Red Sea. They've, the Holy Ghost has come upon them. They got water out of that rock. Amen. The New Testament writer said that rock was Jesus. Amen. They got what they needed for their soul out of that rock. And now here they come to this place called Rephidim. Up until this point, after coming out of Egypt, they have not faced an enemy. They haven't fought any battles up until now. Again, that point where we think, man, this is so easy serving God. We get baptized on Sunday, amen, and all day Monday it feels like we float. 
Amen. Tuesday, we kind of float. We get the Holy Ghost, and it's like, man, I'll never sin again. Amen. I'm so full of God. I will never, I'll never even be tempted again. Life is so easy now that I got the Holy Ghost. And then we come to Rephidim, which means place of relaxation. Let me tell you, when you get to a place where you begin to relax, where your worship isn't what it used to, I don't care care how old you are, how long you've been serving God, don't think that God owes you anything. Spiritual entitlement. People are going to miss out on heaven over spiritual entitlement. The day God saved you, you couldn't run the aisles fast enough. You couldn't jump high enough. You couldn't sing loud enough. You would have stayed in the altar until everybody else was gone. But now you've come to Rephidim. Oh, I I don't need altar calls, Pastor. I'm mature. No, you're dead. They come to this place of relaxation. And the descendants of Esau, the flesh, sees this relaxation. And they come and they begin to fight with the descendants of Jacob. They begin to fight against the spiritual man. Amen. I want you to notice that the flesh begins to fight. One whole verse. I don't know how long it was. But before the Israelites ever fought back, the flesh was already destroying them. When you come to this place of relaxation, the flesh is going to begin to attack. The flesh is going to begin to war. But you had better wake up. You had better come to your senses. And you better fight back. I apologize to our guests that are here today. I I, I guess I I don't know if I apologize or not, but some of you better fight for the hill. Some of you better get up. You better wake up. You need the altar call now more than you needed it 20 years ago. You need to run the aisles more today than you did 10 years ago. Because here's the difference. The guy that God first called out of darkness and the guy here today, both of you have the same propensity to sin. Both of you are still in the flesh. The only difference is the old guy knew he needed Jesus and the you now doesn't think he needs him anymore. God, I need one more altar call that I can run down to an altar and I can pray until my carnal mind is put in the the grave. What I'm preaching about right now, what I'm preaching about right now, this place of Rephidim, is what takes churches that were once a movement and turns them into monuments. Churches come to a place of spiritual maturity where their worship no longer has intensity. 
And they began to plead with the preacher, would you not preach so long and stop making such an issue out of whether or not we come to an altar. And you need to let down on some things around here, Pastor, because you're asking too much of us. And you'll die in Rephidim. Amen. And the Amalekites will kill the Israelites if you don't fight back. I wish I could stand up on top of this. I feel something in my spirit so strong. The Amalekites are already fighting. What you don't know is the battle is already going on. What you don't know is the war is already going on. I rebuke that spirit in Jesus' name. Some of you that want me to shut up, I will not shut up. I will not be quiet. I will not stop. I will not silence it. If this makes you uncomfortable, I do not apologize. We will not become a carnal church. You might want to find you another church. We will not become carnal. We will not stop having altar calls. We will not stop worshiping. It's not happening. I know we're at a place right now. Some of you are at a place in your life. You're at a place in your walk with God that you feel like you should be able to relax now. Pastor, I've already paid my dues. I've already done my part. When you asked us to give so we could build this building, I sacrificed. I've done my part. I've been around here too long for you to expect me to give God praise. Pastor, you don't have a right to expect me to be in the altar. I'm a mature Christian. Can I identify for you what happened? You got ambushed by Esau and you don't even know it. You got ambushed by Esau and you don't even know it, now you've got an option. Either you can let Esau destroy you and your faith and your family and this church and this community and this nation, or you can fight back. Or you can get a hold of what Joshua got a hold of, and he grabbed his spear, and he ran out there, and he fought, and he fought, and he fought. Come on, somebody, you need to fight. You need to fight because your flesh is calling the shots. If you're mad at me right now, it's because you're carnal.
It's time to wake up the army of God because the flesh is already fighting. The flesh is already warring in your mind. The flesh is already saying he's preached long enough. He's just picking on us. I know there's a spirit of, there's a breakthrough happening right now. And if you're praying with somebody, don't stop. But I feel like I need to say, I need to finish what God gave me to say. I'm almost done. The Bible says that when Joshua went out to the battlefield and he began to fight, that the old patriarch Moses went to the top of a hill. He took the rod of God in his hand and he walked up there. He began to raise his hands and he noticed every time he raised his hands, the spiritual man began to win. The descendants of Jacob, the spiritual mind, began to win. And every time he lowered his hands, the descendants of Esau, carnality, began to, began to overcome them. And so he began to raise his hands. And as he did, the spiritual things began to win. And every time those hands came down, carnality would begin to win. The only hope that you, listen to me, the only hope that you or your family or that this church has of moving beyond Rephidim and coming to a land of promise is you've got to have a pastor that won't put his hands down. You've got to have a pastor that won't get up here and play patty cake. Pastor, I don't really like much what you got to say today. I feel like you're going a little overboard. You're picking on people. You want me to put my hands down. That's what you think you want. But what you don't understand is if I put my hands down, your family is going to be consumed by carnality. If I start letting down on things, your home is going to be consumed. All across this nation, churches are letting down on things. Pastors are saying, you know, it doesn't matter if you're spiritual. You can have a carnal attitude and get up here and play your instrument and sing your song and you're as carnal as anybody in the world. No big deal because you're talented. We're just going to let down on some things. Come on up here. And what's happened to those churches that are being consumed by carnality. And those children have no chance of making it there. Listen, I, it is a battle. It is a fight. But I'm going to keep my hands up. We're not going to let down. We're not going to let down. And the Bible tells us that in the battle, Moses' hands become weary. My wife gives me a hard time sometimes, just joking. She'll say, man, you come to the altar and you have people raise their hands and you forget about it. And they're all, they're like propping their arms up. Moses' arms are up. I'm telling you, there's such a battle. 
I'm not saying this to be self-serving because if I put my hands down, it's not about me. It's about you. If I start letting down on things, Brother Alberta, your children will not make it to heaven. If I let down on things, Brother Moses, Aaron, and Gabe have no chance of making it to heaven. If your pastor starts letting go of things and lets down on things, this platform will become carnal. Bible says his hands became heavy. A heavy-handed leader is an, an idiom for an oppressive leader. A leader who asks things of people that are unfair, has expectations that are unrealistic. Even as I'm preaching, some of you think I'm heavy-handed. Who does he think he is to expect us to stay for an altar call? It's heavy-handed. Heavy-handed leaders go beyond the lines of healthy, good leadership. But then at the end of the verse, the Harrison, it says that his hands are steady. Same Moses, same hands, same intention by Moses. I want to see my people win. Holding up my hands because I want to see the Plager family saved. Brother Bruce, that's why I'm doing what I do right now. Because I want you to be saved, and I want Matt and Brad and Sister Donna to be saved, and I want Brother and Sister Harrison to be saved, and I want, I want the Sylvia family to be That's why I'm doing I'm not doing this right now, because I don't have better things. I know I could patty cake you. I know I could do that. But here's the difference. When you're in support of the, the only difference between Moses before and after was at the end they were in support of the man of God. He wasn't doing anything different than he was before. But when they realized why he was doing, I realize you're just doing this so I can make it to heaven. I realize why you're not just letting talent on the platform. I realize why you tell us to come and linger at an altar. It's just because you want us to be saved. But you start getting carnal. A little twisted in your mind. Get out of support of the man of God. And all of a sudden, the same decisions he was making that brought you and your family out of sin into, into light. All of a sudden, that's heavy-handed. Same thing. We've never asked anything different from our platform than I ask right now. Certainly not less. I mean, not more. We're asking the same thing we've always asked. I do not let people on this platform that can only come to church when it's their time to sing. I don't do it. I never have and I never will. I'm not going to let people in leadership in this church that won't be committed to this church. It's not going to happen. It never has and it never will. The only difference is some of you now, because you become carnal in your thinking, the enemy is behind you thinking I'm heavy-handed. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not heavy-handed. I just don't want to see your family go to hell. I don't want to see your family consumed with carnality. You didn't think it was heavy-handed when you came to an altar and you lingered and God stripped that sin off of you, but all of a sudden it's heavy-handed because carnality. We're not doing anything different than we've always done. The difference isn't with the leadership of this church. The difference is with who's calling the shots in your mind. 
Pastor, we got your back. Until, until you ask something us, of us that we feel like is too much. Until we see those hands start to come down. Feels oppressive to us. Got your back, Pastor, as long as you're letting us all go home by 8 o'clock. I got your back, Pastor, as long as you're not asking of us things that are uncomfortable for the flesh. Listen, you need to do some things uncomfortable for your flesh because you got to let your flesh know you don't call the shots around here. Jacob does. Jacob does. I wish somebody do something uncomfortable right now. I wish you'd do something that your flesh doesn't like. I'm going to be honest with you. In the hour that we live in, there are churches, pastors everywhere letting their hands. I heard yesterday of a close friend of mine who's preached the same things I do, but he's letting down. He's letting down because there's pressure and carnality is coming into that church. And it's not easy to keep your hands up. There are times the pressure is there to just say, no, forget it. Forget it. If you all want a carnal church, then let's be carnal. Just all you best singers get up here. I don't care. You can dress like, live like, I don't care, just get up here. Let's have the best talent. I don't care, I don't care if you're spiritual, just get up here and let's perform. Hands start to get heavy. Hands start to get heavy. Amen. Hands start to get heavy when you preach holiness and people shake their head at you. And you preach you need to stay in the altar and people bow their heads and cross their eyes. I'm telling you, hands start to get heavy. Why don't we just let down on holiness, Pastor? If we could just let down on holiness. You don't understand if we let down on holiness, carnality will overwhelm this church. Amen. Your babies that are serving God right now will be living for the devil if I don't keep my hands up. So I don't need you to tell me you got my back. I need you to get behind me. I need you to understand I'm preaching this way for your baby's sake. I don't let things on this platform because I don't want your marriage ending in adultery. I don't let things on this platform because I don't want this church to be a carnal church. Listen to me, every dad in this house, you need to get your head up in the air and you need to raise your hands for your home and your family. You better hold the hill. You better hold the hill. Come on, the enemy's coming up the hill. And they know, Trey, if you let down your hands, your babies have no chance of being safe. You better hold your hands up. Wives, don't you argue with your husbands when they say we're going to church today. You need to get over there and hold their hands up.
I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm making this pledge to you, Living Hope. I will not let my hands down. I will not. I will not. Brother, Brother Junior, I will not stand before God and say it was my fault that your children didn't make it to heaven. I won't do it. I will not let carnality overtake this platform. I will not do it. Because if I let down, Esau's going to get hungry. He's going to sniff out that bowl of porridge. It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but sooner or later, your flesh and your carnality, the only thing holding your, your flesh in check is what happens at this altar, your spiritual walk with God. And I'm not saying everything about your spirituality takes place here, but it surely starts here and it flourishes here. And it's encouraged here. And if you come here and it's showtime at the Apollo, some of you don't know what that is. It's a talent show. So is it a talent show? We got adulterers and fornicators up here on our platform. And that's what we're, I'm not saying the people up here are perfect, they're not. And if somebody ever tells you that they can't get on this platform because we're holding their past against them, they're a liar. They're a liar, er, er, lie, capital L, liar. I'm not keeping anybody off of this platform for their past, but if you can't get committed to your present and to your future, there's no place for you on this platform. But if you walk in this place, and the only bastion left in our world is a church that will preach righteousness. And if I let down your Esau, I don't have an Esau. You're a liar. We all have Esau. Don't tell me you're so spiritual you don't have fleshly appetite. You ain't that spiritual. You're, you might be that good of a liar, but you ain't that spiritual. I know I, I have a fleshly appetite. Brother Larry, I can't afford to miss the altar. I can't afford to miss the presence. If I miss the presence of God on Sunday, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm, I'm, I'm just that weak. I'm, I'm that honor. I need Jesus. And I need a spiritual man of God to stand in my life and say, we're holding up the standard. We're holding up the standard. We're not. And I need some errands and some hers. I need some men of God. I need some women of God that will say, Pastor, we're not just saying we're behind you. We're going to hold up your hands. Play something. It'll help. I hope. Listen, this is not my standard I'm holding up. After that battle was over and Israel won and the spiritual man won because a man would hold up his hand. I pray in heaven, Brother Simpkins, you find me. You may say, Pastor, I never told you on earth, but you weren't really that great of a preacher. I'll be all right with that. As long as you say to me, Pastor, thank you for not letting down. Because look, here's, here's Linda Lou. Here's Isaiah. Oh, Hannah, come here. You were hiding over there behind the Apostle Paul. We didn't see you. Come up here, Hannah. Linda, come here. Pastor, we're here because you held up your hands. 
It told us we needed to be in the altar every time there was an altar call. Thank you, Pastor, because that kept, that kept Esau in check. And it made sure that our home was being driven by the thing. I pray every, when we get to heaven, you may tell me some honest truths that you couldn't tell me on earth. But I pray one thing you tell me, Brother Harrison, is as long as our family was a part of Living Hope, Pastor, you did your job and you held your hands up and you kept carnality out of our home. The battle is over. And what does Moses say? This place is Jehovah Nisi. What is Jehovah Nisi? God is my banner. God is my standard. It wasn't my standard I was holding up. It was the standard of Jehovah. It was the standard of the name of Jesus. It was the standard of righteousness. God, let this place be called Jehovah Nisi. Let families that haven't been to an altar in a while run to this altar this morning and crucify Esau. Oh, pastor, that was such a heavy-handed sermon. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It's just that the carnal mind can't understand the things of the Spirit. These hands are steady. Come on, somebody, would you walk down to this altar right now? Come on, husbands, dads. Would you help lift up these weary hands? Come on, I'm telling you, I'm being honest with you. I need your support. If you just want to turn this thing into a social club, then so be it. If that's what you're looking for, then you can have it, but I'm not going to be a part of it. But if you want this place to be a spiritual edifice, then for every five times you told me you had my back, I need you right now. One of the main men in this church that held my arms up left two weeks ago. I feel that. I feel Brother Robert's absence. I feel that in my spirit. It doesn't mean this church is going anywhere because I believe there are going to be men that are going to run up and take his place. Listen, if your flesh is mad at me right now, you need to get to an altar. Something's not right. If this kind of preaching irritates you, something is not right. I didn't preach my standard. I preached the standard of the Word of God. If me telling you that you need an altar irritates you, let me ask you who it is that is wrong. We're going to hold the hill with Alberti. We're going to hold the hill. Wagner, we're going to hold the hill. I see Rob here today. Rob, I'm not preaching any different than I did 20 years ago, am I? Still the same preaching, Rob. I'm doing it because I want to see you saved, buddy. Carnal preaching don't save people. Husbands, fathers, mothers, I want you to get with your family right now. 
Because if I hold up my hands on Sunday and you go home and you tear down my hands on Monday or you don't raise up your hands on Monday, what we do on Sunday doesn't even matter. I want you to raise up your hands. As for me and my house, family, listen, not because pastor's saying, but I'm pleading with you. Dads, I'm asking you to pray this over your families. Family, not because pastor thinks we need to, but because I, as the spiritual head of this house, if there is an altar call, our family will be in the altar together. We will not be the last ones to church and the first ones out the door. That is Esau Church. We're not going to start giving our pastor expectation that you put people on the platform that can't make it to prayer meeting. That only show up to worship service when it's their time to play and sing. We're not doing it. That's it. Come on, dads. I can't do this on my own. I can't do this on my own. I can't keep my hands up by myself. I need you. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.